Uh, today, we have a unique privilege of starting a new series. And so today, we're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes, so you can turn there uh, with me if you would. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about just uh, kind of where this is coming from, not necessarily from a biblical perspective, but from my own heart. Um, as, as a young man in my early 20s, I uh, was really into construction, really into the construction business and, and enjoyed it a ton. In fact, that, that's where I believed I would be. Obviously, I am not there right now. And so, uh, but that's where I believed the Lord would send me. And so uh, early on in my corruption, uh, uh, I almost said corruption. Um, I was corrupt. I'll give you that. Okay. But in my construction career, I, uh, I began, and I'm, I'm 21 years old, and I had become the foreman on a, a project. In fact, it was just down the street here. And so here I am, a 21-year-old guy, arrogant guy at that, and um, I was, uh, you know, uh, leading on this job site. I had about 20-some guys underneath me doing demolition, and um, I felt like I had made it big. And I began to think to myself, like, you know, what else is there left in life? And you may be thinking to yourself, maybe you should shoot a little bit higher next time, Matt, other than a uh, construction foreman on a job site. But that's just where I was. I, 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 was, I was thinking, you know, I, I hadn't really realized that I would get to this point, and maybe it was a small milestone in my life, but I'd gotten to this point where I was just like, this doesn't fulfill me. And so I began to think, you know, like, what's, what is basically the meaning of life? What does God have for me? Like, what am I... What am I supposed to be doing here? And I, I realized that my heart really wasn't satisfied with these pursuits. And I don't know why, but God had just impressed this upon me that this was not going to fulfill me long term because I had gotten to this point that I had wanted and I desired and I was going after and I was kind of trying to claw my way up the ladder. And I got there very early in life, perhaps too soon. And I came to a point where I just thought, what else is there in life? Everything's going to feel like this. Everything is going to feel meaningless when I finally get it. And I'll tell you, it's been true in my life as I've gone on, even as I've been in the ministry. I'm still a person. I'm still human. And so I, I mess up. I make mistakes. I have a heart that's misdirected at times. And so as, I, as we began to plant this church, Outward Church, uh, I, my wife and I were living in a 900-square-foot apartment, and we, uh, we had had our first child, and um, we were in this apartment, and it was uh, kind of a crackerjack box. I mean, it was just very small, and here I, I have a, a two-year-old child, and we're uh, you know, watching TV with headphones and a, a long cord over to the TV so that we don't wake the child up when we're uh, watching TV and so forth. Um, I'm, we're, we're doing that. We're, we're trying not to make noise uh, inside. I mean, it's just getting a little bit cramped. And so I, I have these hopes and these dreams and these aspirations. And so finally we get to a point where um, I, I go from making next to nothing uh, in uh, church planting and, and finally was able to make a, a reasonable salary, finally got to a point where we were able to purchase uh, our first home. And so I, I buy this home and we get into it and it, we come to a point where it's just like, man, home ownership felt like it was going to be the pinnacle of success. And it felt like, man, this is success. It's like, it's the American dream, right? And then you get your home and you, you come to this point where you just go, you know, 
I'm, I'm grateful for it, but there's something about it and there's something in my heart that's kind of leading me to this point that feels like I am just grasping at something and, it's, and I'm not really getting there. And then so our home was 1,400 square feet and so we, uh, uh, you know, enjoy children and so we thought we'd have a mess of them and so we have four children and we're all in this 1,400 square foot home and then in the middle of winter when it's raining outside and we're all in the living room, it is driving me crazy and I've had these hopes and dreams of just having a little bit larger yard for the kids and so we, uh, we had talked about remodeling and that was going to be way more than we could ever afford and so we, that one night we decided to look and so we found a, a different home and lo and behold, long story short, God just totally blessed us by this home, uh, you know, probably should have been priced higher. We got in at the right time, and God just totally blessed us. And so I'm finally in this new home, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm kind of through the whole move-in process, and I'd been dreaming about it, and I had been looking, uh, you know, at pictures of it before we got in, and I, we're going to do this, and oh, there's a bigger patio, so we can have church people over, we have meetings over there, and there's... There's a, you know, it's a little bit more parking there, and, and it's, it's going to be so awesome. But then I find my heart feeling like, what's missing? And it's like, it's like every time I come up to these goals, it's like something is just, I'm hitting my head on something. I'm hitting my head on something, and I, and I, keep, I keep hitting this thing, and I keep going, what, this was supposed to be fulfilling. This was supposed to, like, speak to the thing that I want the most. This was supposed to be something that really fulfilled me. But you know what? I'm realizing something about my heart, that my heart is misdirected sometimes, that I find myself in a place where I'm going after things that ultimately will never satisfy me. But you know, we're all like that. We're all like that. Every single one of us gets to a point where we say, this is the thing that's going to satisfy me. This is, this is the thing that is, that is going to fulfill me in life. And perhaps it's, it's a, a job. It's an accomplishment. It's, it's the new home. It's a relationship. And we get to the point where we just go, this just isn't fulfilling me. In fact, I was reading a book just recently uh, called Dataclism by a guy named Christian Rudder. He's the, one of the... Um, guys who started OkCupid, the website, which is a, a dating website. And he says this, in short, people appear to be heavily pre-selecting online for something that once they sit down in person doesn't seem important to them. He, he says this, he says people will sit there and they'll obsess over the details of the type of person that they want, what rating of a, a girl or a guy that they want. And they'll say, and I want these aspects, and, and they, they've got to be this political affiliation, and they need to be uh, religious, or, or they need to be an atheist, or they need to be a non-smoker, or a smoker, or they need to enjoy this type of music. And they, they select, and they select, and they select, and then this guy says, through all of that data, because all of it comes into their data stream, and he says, it is incredibly interesting that people are pre-selecting so much, and they go through all of this stuff, and then they finally sit down with this person. And they realize, you know what, I'm not really all that excited about this. It's this idea that we're striving and we're going after things and we keep going after it, we keep going after it, and it's just we hit this lid that is keeping us from experiencing true happiness. 
We hit the slit that's keeping us from really experiencing life in a way that we had really wanted to. Why is that? Why is that? You know, in our lives, oftentimes, we make judgments about various things. Perhaps it's the things that we've been going after, but we'll, we'll say, uh, you know, that, that totally wasn't worth it. Or that movie was a waste of time. Or this job is just getting me nowhere. This relationship isn't really fulfilling me. We make these judgments and we say, you know, this is the de facto rule. I've been through this and I'm saying, I don't like what has happened here. I, we make judgments continually about these short segments of time and even perhaps longer segments of time. And we, say, we make these judgments and we're able to say, we're able to look back on life and we're able to say, you know, I... This was not worth it. This is not what I, what I wanted. Let me ask you something. What if you get to the end of your physical existence and you said the entire thing was not worth it? What if you get to the end of your physical existence and you realize that there are so many worthless pursuits what if what happens to many people happens also to you? And you come to a place where you essentially say, the entire thing was meaningless. It did not fulfill me in the way that I thought it would. There's somebody in the Bible who's looking back on their life. And it's like they're an old man. It's like they're, they're an old professor. And they're looking back over their life and they're essentially saying that this is how I feel about all of the pursuits in my life. Everything that I've ever gone after. And you might say, well, they need to get out more. But here's the thing. That this guy, his name was Solomon. And he's the wisest king that ever lived. In fact, if you were to look at a little bit of background information about Solomon, what you'd find out is that Solomon was uh, David's son, King David's son. David of David and Goliath, if you've Remember that story at all? Solomon was King David's son. And Solomon comes into power, and it says in 1 Kings chapter 3, uh, verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings in the high places. So there's this thing, there's, there's a heart that's kind of divided. It's between, he's walking in the statutes of his Lord, but then he's going after these other gods and kind of uh, syncretizing his religion with other religions. So there's this, there's this divided heart of Solomon. But then in verse 5 of 1 Kings chapter 3, uh, it says this, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And so Solomon begins to talk about how he's essentially a child and he doesn't know much. And he's coming into power in this great nation and his, that his dad had, had led. And he says this in verse 9 of 1 Kings 3. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? And it says this, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked uh, for, yourself, uh, for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you wise and discerning mind so that none like you 
has been before you, and none like you shall rise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. Solomon says, you know, I want wisdom to be able to lead these people. And God is pleased with this. And he says, because you've asked for that, and you didn't ask for riches, and you didn't ask for all of these other things, because of that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you wisdom and all of these things. And your greatness is going to be incredible. He, he's going to be incredibly wise. And then it goes on to talk about how great he is and all, what it takes to run his empire. All of the people and the food and all of these things. This is an incredible king. This is the guy who's writing this. And he's essentially a guy who went into life and he had all of this wisdom, but he had this divided heart, much like many of us. Or we say, I, I, I mean, I think I want to do the will of God. Maybe most of you in here are like that, or at least some of us. But there's this divided heart that kind of keeps us separated. And that was true of Solomon. He ended up marrying uh, other wives. He had like 700 wives and 300 co- concubines. That was against God's will. He married women from other, other nations. He worshipped other gods. This guy had everything, and yet he went after all of these other things in his life. And so he pursued life. He pursued every avenue of life. He had every ability to do so. He was able to pursue pleasure and work and buildings and relationships, obviously. He was able to go after everything, and his wisdom exceeded everyone around him. And so here he is, perhaps at the end of his life, after having gone through all of these things, meandering away from God, going after other gods, and he's sitting down, and he's like an old man. And I don't know if you've ever kind of sat with anybody like that, where you just kind of run into them, and all of a sudden you realize this person has incredible wisdom. And you sit down, and, and you say, would you teach me? Like, tell me, tell me how you got to where you're at. I remember when I was, you know, in these early 20s, I had uh, started a construction business, and uh, I was at a, uh, what was it, a, um, a ranch that a buddy of mine, his dad owned, and there was quite a few people that owned part of this ranch in eastern Oregon, and I remember sitting down with uh, this guy who I never would have been able to meet, and his name was... Andy Anderson. He had, I, I believe that he owned Anderson Construction, and I was in awe of this guy. I mean, he was like a he was like a grandfather. And I remember sitting down at the table with him, and and uh, and uh, I was I just started to tell him, "Hey, I'm in construction. I'm 20 years old, and I think I can run a business, and you know all of these dumb things." And I remember what he said to me. He said, "You know, I, I'm not trying to put you down, but I just want to say." I'm proud of you. I was like, dude, you're proud of me. Wow, that's cool. You don't even know me. You don't know anything about me. But he spoke to something in my heart. He spoke to this need that I had. Solomon is a guy who's been through life. He has seen everything. And every single one of us needs to gather around the table and just go, Solomon, the teacher, the preacher, he's about to speak, and we better listen. 
he is a professor of philosophy. And he is about to speak, and he's, he's about to tell us, I have been in every place. I have done everything, and I want you to know this. And here's the thing about him, is that he doesn't come out and give us the answer. He's not going to come out and give us the answer immediately. And so there's going to be times where you're going to be confused, and you're going to say, hey, how can this be helpful? But here's the thing. He's a teacher, and he's a good teacher because he doesn't just give us the answers, but he causes us to ask the questions. And so today, let me ask you this. Is life really worth living the way that you are right now? When you get to that pinnacle, when you get to that point, when you get to that place in life, that thing that you're looking forward to, the thing that you think is going to bring you the greatest joy is when you get there and it doesn't satisfy you, is life really going to be worth living? And I can tell you this, that Solomon's not the only one that's had fame, riches, power, whatever he wanted. Many, many, many people who have celebrity status in our world suffer because of this. They thought it would fulfill and it hasn't. And so perhaps they're going after drugs or they're going after multiple relationships or they're going after even uh, philanthropic um, uh, efforts throughout, throughout the world and helping all, all kinds of people and all kinds of things. Solomon is going to tell us where they're going to end up and where we are going to end up. Solomon is able to look back on his entire life just like you look at the individual events of your life, a class, a relationship, a job, and you can say that wasn't worth it. Solomon's going to say the same thing about many of the things that we pursue. So would you read with me um, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1? He says, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Let me, let me just clarify that real quick. Meaningless, a vapor, fruitless, emptiness. It, and, and if you're reading the NIV, it says meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Don't miss this. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher or the professor or the teacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Key phrase there, under the sun. In our universe, everything we can see under the sun, our limited perspective, our, our limited purview. Under the sun, this is what does man gain by all the toil, all the work at which he toils under the sun. A generation goes and a generation comes. But the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is still not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it, or a man cannot speak to it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. 
and there is nothing new under the sun. Under the sun, there's that phrase again. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in, in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. That is the college student's mantra, right? He who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Pretty depressing, isn't it? Just pause for a second in your life or about your judgments. Hey, I came here for an uplifting message, pastor. This doesn't feel very uplifting. You're right. It doesn't, but it's the Bible, so we teach it anyway, whether we like it or not, right? And so the, the scriptures here are saying this, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. It's vanity. There, there's, there's nothing new under the sun. If you look at the, the passage here, what he can, continues to say. Let me find my notes. There we go. He's saying everything is futile. It's absurd. It's meaningless. It's a vapor. Emptiness. 38 times he's going to say this in this book. 38 times he's going to communicate something to you which is that there is nothing worthy of our efforts under the sun as it stands. He says, what, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? You work your entire life. He's going to go into this in more detail, but you work in your entire life to create a savings that perhaps could just go away in an instant because of a stock market crash or because of an accident or because of a lawsuit. You work your entire life and you're left essentially with nothing. And at the end of the day, if there is no God and there is no afterlife, and even with there being no God and no, and even if there was no afterlife, everything that you work for, it just, it just, you can't take it with you, as they say. It's just, it's working for nothing. It's going nowhere. He's going to say under the sun 29 times. He's talking about in this life, have you considered is your life worth living under this sun? The way that you are living it and the pursuits that you're going after. Is this life worth living? He says a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. There's, there's people that are going to come 
and then they're going to go, and then more people are going to come, and then they're going to go, and then more people are going to come, perhaps to a billion years. We don't know. It's just going to keep happening. It's going to keep happening. You might say, well, we have the internet now, and, and surely our, you know, we'll, we'll be remembered and so forth. But what you don't realize is that years and years and years and years and years from now will not be remembered. He said the sun rises and the sun's go- sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. It, it, the, the word there means hurries, to pant. It's, it's like a, a runner that's endlessly making his way around a racetrack. It's like the sun just keep, kind of keeps going and keeps going, keeps going. Think about the monotony that the teacher is talking to us about right now. That life is just continually going around and around and around. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. There's monotony. It's monotone. It's just going to continue doing this, and it's going to continue doing this, and it's going to continue doing this. Why is he telling you this? You're going to continue doing this, and you're going to continue doing this, and you're going to continue doing this. And you're going to pass away, and then another generation is going to come. All streams run to the sea, but the sea isn't full. It's unquenchable. Think about the unquenchable nature of our lives. It doesn't matter how much happiness through your family you have. You're searching for more happiness. My daughter loves Friday Family Fun Night. It's like she cannot get enough of it. Like, it's, it, like we're never going to come to a point where it's going to be like, this was the greatest Friday fu- Family Fun Night, and I no longer need Friday Family Fun Night, my little uh, five-year-old daughter. I mean, she's never going to come to that point where she is full of this, at least not until her teens. It's just not going to happen. She loves Friday. She can't have enough fun. Or that fun with the family will be, will be replaced by another type of fun, another type of relational involvement. It's unquenchable. It's just, it's constantly flowing. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. It just keeps going and going and going and going. And he's relating this to us. There's, there's poetry here that's going on that's, that, that's kind of speaking to us and it's saying something and that there is something that cannot be fulfilled in this life through the physical things that we have. We cannot get enough. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. Verse 8 is a summary of the previous verses. All things are full of weariness. All things are full of weariness. Let me ask you this. Do you believe that about your life and about the things that you're engaged in? Set aside your religion or your spirituality here for a second. Do you believe that about your life? I want to challenge you to hear from the professor this morning who says, all things are full of weariness. All things are leading you down a path towards weariness. He says, a man cannot utter it. No one is able to speak to this. Man has nothing to say about it. He can't control it. There's nothing that he can do to make it different. 
He says, the eye is not satisfied with seeing. I can't see enough of anything that I long to see. I can't see enough. I, I'm, I just, I keep seeing and I keep seeing and I keep seeing. It's like a bottomless pit of the desire to see. Nor the ear filled with hearing. I never get enough of hearing uh, music or, or what have you. I'm, I never get enough of hearing this. It's, we're never fulfilled in our, in our hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. You know, we come to this point where we're like, oh, here's a new thing. Here's a new song. Here's, here's a new way of, of, of doing things. Here's a, something new. And we're always looking for something new a lot of times. A new way to, to look at life or, or what have you. And Solomon says this, what has been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. It's the same monotonous stuff that keeps rolling over and over and over again. A construction job to a home to another home. I, 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 I'm, there's, an, I, there's an empty cavern inside of me that says, I, ha- I want more things. And it, somehow this isn't fulfilling me. And it's telling me something about my life under the sun. It's telling me something about who I am. It's telling me something about about where my heart is directed. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things. There will, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. Eventually, people are going to forget me. It'll probably happen five minutes after you leave the parking lot. That's when the sermon is typically forgotten, if you didn't know, statistically speaking. I'm going to be forgotten. You're going to be forgotten. That's a hopeful message at church, isn't it? What do we say at funerals? They, they, uh, They were a good person. They helped a lot of people. I'm sure they'll have a lasting influence. They were a great man. They were a great woman. Most funerals go this way. Solomon says there's no funeral that tells the truth. There's no funeral that, 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 is, that is telling the truth about that. And here's the thing, is that we all, uh, to use, uh, uh, to quote Buddy the Elf, sit on a throne of lies. You, I don't know if you've seen Elf. Sounds like many of you have, Right? But the elf comes up to Santa and says, you sit on a throne of lies. Some of our friends took their, their kids to a, a Santa thing, and one of their youngest kids thought it would be really funny to scream that in uh, the middle of this place. And the parents were dying, um, just laughing so hard. Here's the thing. Every single one of us sits on a throne of lies. Our life is held up, and it's... It is, it is held up by this throne, which says, as long as I have this thing, I am seated in satisfaction. I'm going towards this goal. I'm seated in satisfaction, and I'm seated in something that is going to bring me to a place of fulfillment. But we sit 
and a throne of lies that will never fulfill because it's just something that keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going. And the professor goes on here and he says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. And he comes to a point where he says this, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's, he's saying this, uh, the wisdom, the knowledge, the effort that I've put into this, it, it, it makes me unhappy. And one commentator says this, he is challenging the widely held notion that pursuit of knowledge fulfills life and gives a per person permanent significance. This isn't to say that, that knowledge or wisdom or education shouldn't be pursued. But it's to say this, that the pursuit of knowledge, uh, of wisdom, and of education will not bring eternal significance or happiness. The pursuit of those things will never get, get you there. And he says, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. It's, I'm, 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 I've searched and I've searched and I've searched and it makes me unhappy because I continue to search and I continue to search. Verse 14 says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. I just keep going and it's like I just, I'm, I'm grasping at, at, at nothing. I keep going. And let, me, let me tell you how this plays out. It, hap it can happen in your job. Or the next promotion or finding that perfect job. It's just, it's a striving after the wind. And you say, that's going to be my ultimate fulfillment. Some of you are single right now and you don't want to be single. And you say, that will bring ultimate fulfillment. And it's a striving after the wind. And some of you are married. And you say, if my wife or my husband could just be this way. You're striving after the wind and you're saying, this will bring me ultimate fulfillment. Now, healthy marriages are a good thing. But are they an ultimate thing to you? Jobs are good things, but is it an ultimate thing? Relationships are a good thing. But are they an ultimate thing for you? Because those things are under the sun. Those things are simply under the sun. He says, what is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking can't be counted. If it's not there, you can't count it. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this is also but a striving after the wind. He went after wisdom. And then it was like, well, wisdom isn't really getting me anywhere, so I'm going to go after madness. And then I'm going to go after folly. Like, is there fulfillment in being a fool or, or being crazy in some way? He said, I've, I, I have gone after everything it's just striving after the wind. And, he, and, he, and at the end of the day, the more I know, the more I'm disturbed. 
the more I keep going after things, the more I keep seeking after these things, it just disturbs me. For he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. It just keeps going after things and after things and after things. And you know what? Our world believes this too. Ralph Waldo Emerson says this. A political victory, a rise in rents, like an increase in your salary, more income, a rise in rents, the recovery of your sick, a return of your absent friend, or some other quite external event raises your spirits, and you think good days are preparing for you. A real opportunity to say, this is, this is happening Things are going well. I got the pay raise. I got all this stuff. Everything's going well for me. Ralph Waldo Emerson here to save the day from the preacher. And then he says, do not believe it. Don't believe it. I'm not the only one that's a pessimist, and along with Solomon here. Do not believe it. Here's real hope for you. From Ralph. Nothing can bring you peace but yourself. Nothing can bring you peace but the triumph of principles. Now, <laughs> the absurdity of that statement is, is apparent, I would hope, because you're constantly going after things. You're constantly doing this. You're, you're constantly going after your principles, your morals. I'm supporting my family. I'm, I'm, I'm leading them. I'm doing what's right. I'm a good person. I'm going after all of these moral things, but still... I'm not, I'm not fulfilled. I, I still keep hitting my head on this ceiling. See, he's a pessimist too, but the thing that he hasn't, he hasn't gotten to the end of himself, or he has now, but he hasn't gotten the, to the end of himself in this statement saying, you know what, it's morality that'll lead you there. And some of you walked into church this morning thinking, you know what, the pastor's gonna lead me towards morality. And I would say this, that that is just as lost as the person who has the worst pursuits that you could possibly think of. Why is that? Because Emerson is subscribing to something that's not under the sun. Emerson is subscribing to something that is above the sun. And he's saying this. He's, he's creating a moral rule here, and he's saying there's, there's, there's morality And really what matters is if you're moral and if these are your principles and if you follow these principles, then things will be okay. But here's the thing. You're not at the end of it yet. You're still at at something else other than God himself. You're still at something else and you're reaching for something else. And so you're going after morality. Solomon is saying this. He's saying you are going after things that are fleeting They're futile. They're emptiness. Don't you see? Can't you see that the things that you're going after, even the good things, the moral things, are ultimately going to lead you to a place of despair? You're going to get to that point where you thought, okay, now I'm moral, and ultimately it's not going to fulfill. It never does. And so what does fulfill? Well, here's the thing. Philosophers have been asking this question for years and years and years, for thousands of years. 
And they've ultimately been asking this question of what is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? Like, where is the beginning of life? How did it start and what is the meaning of it? And they come to a point where they just keep going back and they just, I, I, I can't seem to find it. They find ideas around it, but they can't seem to find it. Well, in John, the book of John, John chapter 1, verse 1, John comes on the scene and he says something that's very interesting. He says this, in the beginning was the word, the logos. In the beginning was the word. It's, it's, it's the beginning. It's the, the start. It's the meaning of life. John walks onto the scene and he says, this, by the way, brilliant philosophers, is what you've been looking for all of your life. And it's not just revealed to those who have fantastic wisdom. It's not revealed to people. In fact, they are continually vexed by their efforts in that direction. But it's actually very simple. Because Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. He is the great cause, and without Him was not anything made that was made. John says this, the thing that you've been looking for, the thing that you've desired, the thing that you've been going after all of your life, the thing that everyone throughout all of eternity has been seeking for is true fulfillment under the sun. But it ultimately came through the Son of God. The Son of God comes as the true beginning. He comes as the Word. He comes as God in the flesh. And He comes to us and He offers something. John 10, 10 says, I have come that they would have life and that they would have it to the full or that they would have it abundantly. Jesus promises you something that nothing else can give you that isn't fleeting. Jesus promises you something that will quench. He's the living water. He's the bread of life. He is the door of hope. He is the one that comes into the world and he says this. He says, you can go after all of these other things that are under the sun. You can go after all of them, but until you see that those things are fleeting, you'll continue to go after them and you'll continue to go after them and you'll continue to go after them. But when you see that Jesus, the Son of God, is the Word, when you see that he is the one that comes as the meaning of life, this is when life and true life change happens. It can't happen in any other way. You may make adjustments. You may listen to Emerson and become more moral. You may go the way of philosophy or relationships. And you may say, this is going to fulfill me. This is going to fulfill me. But it will always, always lead to despair. So this morning, here's what we need to know. First of all, we all sit on a throne of lies, right? The throne of lies is our pursuits for significance. It's our pursuit of the things that will fulfill, and they will ultimately fail us. The wisest person who ever lived, who was given wisdom by God himself, is saying to us as a teacher, can't you see 
I have been there, I have done that. And I have been found wanting. And he's leading us to an answer, which is this. So what is the answer to this? It's Jesus, the Son of God, the Word made flesh. This morning, if you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, you should do this. And it simply means this, that I no longer want to go after all of those other things. I no longer want to go after the things that I think have fulfilled me. I no longer want to do that. And I may not be perfect at fulfilling that right now, but that's not where I want to be. I realize that that is not fulfilling me and that those things are bad saviors, that ultimately they're just slave masters. My job is a slave master and sex is a slave master and drugs are a slave master and pride is a slave master and just being good is a slave master. You will never give it enough. And so we look to Jesus and say, you are the good shepherd. We shall not want. You make us lie down in green pastures. You restore our souls. Why? Because he's above the sun. He's above the sun. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, may we get the essence of this passage by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would speak and that you would be the one who communicates to us this morning what we need to hear. Lord, for those that have walked in, with other goals and other visions of, uh, in their life. Lord, I pray that you would convict all of us, that you would convict us, and Lord, that you would, you would cause us to search for you. Lord, that you'd cause us to say, it, I'm, I'm tired of going after this thing, and it doesn't mean that I'm going to quit my job, and it doesn't mean that I'm just going to drop all responsibilities, but I'm going to take the essence of my life, the meaning of my life out of those things and put them in you so that those things can be in their proper place in my life. Good things that are not God things. You're the only thing worthy of being the God thing in our life because you are God. You are the only God. You are the living God. And so Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for going to the cross for us to pay the ultimate price for all of our searching, for all of our efforts to cast you aside and to say that you don't exist, for all of our efforts to marginalize you, whether consciously or un unconsciously, by pursuing other things to their nth degree. Lord, you went to the cross and you paid the price for that sin, for seeking a savior in something else. So Jesus, we ask that you would help us see you on the cross in our mind's eye, that we'd experience in our mind what you must have gone through to go to the cross, to leave heaven, to be rejected, to be spit upon, to be beaten, God, please let us see this. It's in your name.